Hi, this is Hope. This is Kareem. Hi, this is Katie from Washington, D.C., and you're listening to Me Athlete Radio. here with uh, Matt Frazier of uh, NoMeatAthlete.com. And I'm here with Sid Garza-Hillman, the author of Approaching the Natural. And uh, Sid, what's your title at the Stanford Inn? Uh, Programs Director of the Mendocino Center for Living Well, the Wellness Center here. There we go. That's a pretty long title. Yes, which is where we are, by the way. Your title's blogger. <laughs> That's my official title. Actually, it's yeah. blogger and author now. That's right. Because yeah. of your book, The No Meat Athlete. Exactly. Um. Yeah, we are at the Stanford. So my my podcast, because you guys can't tell if I'm on Matt's podcast or Matt's on my podcast, but mine is sponsored by the Stanford Inn, which is where we are broadcasting from, podcasting from. The beautiful Stanford Inn, we should add. The beautiful Stanford Inn. And this is Matt's um, West Coast leg. Yes. And so um, I asked Joan and Jeff if they would be so kind as to put... Um, Matt up here and so he did he's staying here tonight and had dinner with me and my family and we had a really nice time yeah and and we should mention that the resort is entirely vegan and they're in their food and eco-friendly and everything else and all their other choices which is amazing and the only one of it in, of its type in the country right the only vegan resort in the country yeah yeah that's is, awesome and the amazing. dinner was delicious of course yeah it was good it was it was really good so now we're hanging out in Matt's room and um and um, we were going to, we, we had initially talked about, you know, like, well, I said, you know, would you be on my podcast? And he said, would you be on mine? And then we were at dinner and he's like, well, how do you want to do the, how do you want to do this? And then I was like, why don't we just record it and then you can use it for yours and I'll use it for mine. And, and the rest is history. The rest is history. <laughs> <laughs> and so if it's more like no meat athlete stuff, I'll be I'll be like really pissed. Right, of I'm course. Like, I don't yeah. really want to use this. And it's on my computer. So I'll edit out every time you say no meat athlete. It'll just be like, it'll be, anyway, my book's called Approaching the Natural. <laughs> right. I'll just throw that in there. The power of garage band. Anyway, so how's the tour been? The tour has been a lot of different things. It's been... Uh, amazing in terms of the events themselves and the people who come out and who have met and their stories that they've told me about, you know, what, what has happened since they've gone vegan and the changes they've made. That's, that's all been wonderful. I should have in hindsight incorporated a few more off days into the actual tour. So it's been extremely hectic. I've had so little time to do anything at all. Um, which is another reason I'm looking forward to being able to use this, to post this on my blog as a, as some sort of content. But uh, it's been great. It's such a great experience. The people I've met have been incredible, both through the venues, doing things like this, being at Stanford Inn with you, and um, just amazing experience, absolutely. But but a tiring one. My only um, my only reference to this kind of thing, and by the way, I lit a fire in the fireplace, and that's that, that's how that that's how I do that. There's a there's no fire. Um, I somehow <laughs> lit it, and it just didn't. And it's all preset, so how could that go wrong? Only I could make that go wrong. Anyway, um, my only reference to touring is, of course, back in the day when I was, um, you know, a touring musician. And I just remember people going, "Oh man, that tour! God, it must be—it's God, how great!" And it it, it is, 
but it's like 19 shows in 21 days. Yeah. You know, like that was one of the tours I did. And it's just breakneck. It's like you go, boom, you show up, you load in, you do your thing, you get back in the bus, and you're boom, next next show, next, you know, and it's, it's so great. Every show is great, but yeah, the, to not have any downtime is a, can be taxing. Yeah. And I mean, the having a family is, is of course, also difficult because they didn't come out on the tour they they flew out to meet me which is cool in seattle and i'll see them again in san diego but i think it would be much more fun if uh and less you know less homesickness basically if it were uh if i were like a batch single bachelor you know it'd be an entirely different experience <laughs> oh i and i i had that same thing with music because i finally when the band like got to a certain point where we were touring and putting out records and stuff I, I already had a wife and kid, you know, and actually when we first had a wife and I was totally, and I was like, couldn't this have happened like six years prior? Cause then <laughs> you know, it's like, right. I'm like, you know, drunk and high in a, in a bus <laughs> at, at age 30 and I'm going, I don't, this is not, <laughs> you know, right. three in the morning in Athens, Georgia, right. you know, and I'm like, damn it, I missed the boat on this, you know? And then yep. one time in Europe, just being homesick because I had a baby, you know, seven month old and just being totally miserable. I'm like, I should be loving this, but I want to be home with my baby, you know? So yeah, my tour has been a lot of drunkenness and highness in a bus on this. Has it really? The no meat athlete? <laughs> right. It's just no of meat, course. but it doesn't say. Right, nothing I mean, about all be, that. There right. can be dr- right. it can be drugs and alcohol. No, it, actually, it's me snoring at nine o'clock p.m. As soon as the event is, is done, it? I'm like back to the hotel and just crash. I yeah. bet. Yeah, I bet. And a lot of driving. Yeah, not as exciting uh, as as a tour sounds, but uh, such a good experience. Again. You don't like you don't like the limo that you're in. <laughs> it's not quite long enough. Oh, yeah, I, yeah I, that's I had, too bad. Yeah, I had visions of something. Next time, next book. Next book, Next book yeah. yeah. Right. Um, yeah, I always, I've referenced Rich before, Rich Roll, because he's, I had that moment where he said that he had had to call, because I said, you know, how's the promotion been for your book? And he said, oh, I used to, I, I had to call. He goes, I thought there was going to be like an itinerary from the publisher and all this kind of stuff. And I had to pick up the phone and book my own bookstores, you know? And, and, yep. and by that time, my book had already been out. So I had this moment of like, oh my God, I'm going to be, I got to get my butt going, you know? And right. I, I just didn't get, I was, wasn't real on that. I mean, I, I think hopefully caught up a little bit, but just this, you know, the work you've had to put into making this thing happen and then to do it. I mean, sure. how many months did you? Oh, it was, I mean, as soon as the, the book was turned in, I finished it in like March and thought, okay, I'm done. Shipped it off. Like the work is done. And that was, that was the beginning of, of the work. The editing began and then the scheduling, all the book reviews and stuff like that. And then the, this brilliant idea of mine to start the tour on the exact same day as the book launched right, right. Uh, was was not my best idea in hindsight, but uh, it's it has all worked out and it's been good. And have you been running and on the road? I've been running mainly as parts of the events, like all the running store events. We go for three or five mile runs, which we're doing on Wednesday, right? We um are we doing a thing? We should yes, probably know. we are doing that. Okay, okay. Yep. so just so you they know, are Matt and I are doing a event for Matt's book tour, but he invited me to join him tomorrow in um, Oakland at Whole Foods. Mm-hmm. I said the hub on the last podcast on mine, so apologies right. for that. It's Whole Foods, and you can go to my site, translationtohealth.net, or Matt's No Meat Athlete, and get all up to date on all Matt's dates, but also the two on mine for that we're doing together, and then on Wednesday in San Francisco. Yes, and in between there, I'll also be... Oh, yeah, so you have another Sam, one at yep. the tea room. At Samovar Tea Lounge with Leo Babalta from Zen Habits and Jesse Jacobs, the founder of Samovar. So that'll be a fun one, too. It does cost money. It's like kind of a, a premium one, I guess you would say. Um, but ours are free? Ours are entirely free, okay. yes. Yep. So, yeah, so check those out. So, yeah. So, um, I mean, we can talk. We just kind of didn't even plan on a topic here. But no. um, I find, I guess, when I 
reached out to you because that's how it happened um, in my like panic of, holy crap, I got to start like calling right. to get this book reviewed. Otherwise, right. nobody's going to ever hear about it. Um, I definitely did connect with you and your message. And, and definitely when your book came out, it was like, okay, we're totally in line. And I find it an interesting um, model. I sort of feel like there's a group of people um, both of which, you know, we're sort of in that, that are like the, almost like we're going beyond the diet. Like we're going beyond, I, I don't know. If, I just want to see what you feel like. What, what, what is your opinion on that? Like past the diet mentality and the diet paradigm. Yeah. Like you mean in the sense of that it, this isn't something that you do as a quick way to lose weight and like you only focus on diet and nothing else. Yeah. That like sort the, of diet yeah, mentality. Like it's, yeah. It's like a, it's like a, well, of course I'm, I'm all about small steps, but mm -hmm. I think you are too. And I think yeah. that we're getting, we're moving, really trying to move people beyond this, like pick up my book, follow my plan. Right. Uh, and for 12 weeks, you know, because I'm just all about that ain't happening. Like that's not sure. working. And I think you are too. And I think there's this, but there's, I don't think we're the only ones I'm kind of hearing it come out. And I really think it's an exciting time to move people away from that model. It is. And it's, it's also challenging, you know, because the reason that model is in place is because people love to go into a bookstore on January 2nd and, and see the 20 different diets they can choose, you know, to that, that will be done in 12 weeks. And, the the lifestyle approach you know which which might encompass much more than diet but certainly doesn't involve any end date you know because it's a this is like indefinite you you become whatever fit vegan uh whatever whatever it is that you're talking about because this is certainly not restricted to vegan or plant-based diets i mean there, there's people who are promoting a healthy lifestyle that that's not not a diet but you know has nothing to do with veganism too um it's just not as you know, sexy for lack of a not. better word. And it, it's, um, but for I, both of us obviously agree much, uh, you know, just, just a, a far more effective thing. I mean, it's built to last. It's not, it's not meant to not come and go. Yeah, it's exactly. Not, there's no gimmick there. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I, it definitely doesn't sell. I mean, it definitely doesn't sell, but at the same time, I think that it's important, um, to have some voices out there that, I mean, you and I both have books out. Mm -hmm. It's not like we're fringe in the, you know, sitting off in some corner, like we're out in the world, we're talking to people, we're speaking, we're teaching, and we are bringing this message. And I know that I'm just getting good results from just in my private clients. And I know people are showing up to your, your things. Yeah, I don't think absolutely. they're already, you've got great crowds. I've seen, I've been following you. You've got great crowds. Your blog is nuts, you know, and I don't think everybody's necessarily already there. I call it like a practice. I refer to it as like yoga, where you don't like you don't like finish with yoga. Right. You just are yep. practicing. It's what you do, and you build and you build and you build. Yeah, I've I've referred to my diet as a practice before, um, because it, it, that's what it is for me. I mean, it's something that that I have evolved so much with as I've gotten better at being vegetarian and then better at being vegan, and it's something that you know is constantly changing and shifting, and that you know I can be better at all the time. There's no, there's no date when it's like, okay, I've accomplished being vegan and, and now, now I'm can stop caring about it. You know, it's, it's entirely, it's just not how it is. And, and running is exactly the same way. I mean, it's, they, they both have a lot of parallels for me. Both have moved towards a, a more simple version than what I started, you know, I've kind of lost the gimmicky things and kind of found at the core of each one, the part that, that really is essential for me and resonates with me. 
Um, which that for me, that, that is, that's the description of a practice. So absolutely. Yeah, it never ends. And I, I, do you ever, so for me, like when I, I'm a, I'm a, my practice is a health coach nutritionist. So really, and like in my book, I don't even mention the word vegan. Like I didn't I, notice that. You didn't? I don't think so. Yeah. So I, I don't like, I think I, it's in the, it might be in the intro because Woody Harrelson was vegan and gave me a, a the, my first diet book in 1992. And uh-huh. that, that may be the only time I ever mentioned the word vegan. And the reason is, is because I am personally plant-based, but what I wanted, I, I what is your, I guess I'm going to ask you is what your, what is your feeling about right now when I hear the word vegan, it almost like goes, like I'm touchy about it. Do you feel sure. touchy about the label? I'm becoming more comfortable with it as it's becoming more mainstream. Um, for the first few years of No Meat Athlete, even after I was vegan, I would not ever put the word vegan in the headline of a post because that to me, that was a recipe to make for making the post not successful. Mm-hmm. If you put vegan in there, it would not spread to, you know, to the people who I wanted to reach. People Is that who, true? Who were like, not yet like vegan. numbers wise, you could tell? Oh yeah. I mean, very clearly. It would just shut it down. Yep. Yeah. As, as I don't know if it's that my audience has shifted, um, or it's just the audience who reads No Meat Athlete, if that audience has shifted over time. Or if it's that the vegan movement in general is becoming more mainstream and more just kind of accepted, but nowadays it's I, I feel totally fine putting it in there and and it doesn't seem to have that same effect that it used to. Maybe maybe people just expect that more from from no meat athlete now, or maybe it's becoming more common parlance. I don't know. I I just find like because again because I'm you, here's where we differ is like you're the no meat athlete. Like you're, you're, you know, you're much more about running. Like it's a specific kind of thing. It's you, you right. know, like you, but I'm, my book is about, it's a, you know, part of it is just, it's really not even a diet book and neither really is yours at all. I mean, I blurbed on your book. Right. It's awesome. And that because it's a big picture, we're both big picture. But sometimes I feel like in my own practice, vegan becomes like people's walls come up. Sure. And I'm working with people sometimes who are so far not vegan, like it's ridiculous. And a lot of people who, you know, quote, I was vegan, but I didn't have a lot of energy. I was vegan, but I got sick. So I early on moved to what's health, you know, what's healthiest for the human body. And now let's work with getting as close to that as you feel in your life is appropriate. Right. And I feel like when we talk about vegan, just not you or me, just anybody. Like I always, I do wonder if that's, so you're finding that there's a shift that people aren't as sensitive to that. Yeah, I am. But again, I don't know. That may just be that, that the audience that reads my site has shifted, you know, differently than, than the rest of the culture has. Uh-huh. But I, you know, I think it's, we are very different there in what we do because you are, people come to you and say, I want to get healthy. And they may not even know that vegan is a thing. I mean, uh-huh. they, they may not know anything about it. Uh, for me, it's you know people come people who are get interested in no meat athlete are there from the very beginning. They know it's no meat, so like right, right. that's that's a big part of it. So it's kind of okay. It's accepted and understood that that's what it is, and they're in general not going to be scared off by that word. Got it. I just I guess I'm sensitive to it because I feel like the perception sometimes with people is that it is a diet, mm-hmm. paleo sure. diet, the vegan diet, and I'm like okay, so we can talk about that till the cows come home, or we can talk about you know, f- factually, what our bodies are designed to to opt to be optimally successful health wise on, and and again get to as close as that. Right. I'm 100% plant based simply because for the last 10 years, going on 11, 
I've moved incrementally in that direction. Now I'm 100% plant-based because there's no struggle. I took my time. I went where I needed to go with it. Um, even when I was vegan, I was not healthy in the beginning because I was right. doing the tofurkey right. blah, blah all the time. You know what I mean? So, so I had and, and processed plants, you know, so I had to make that move into like, a, okay, well let's, let's, let's just talk about what's healthy. Right. And right. then, you know, yeah. And, and the incremental thing is another thing that we both have in common, uh, very much so. And and that many, especially the, the 12 week program diet gurus do not, because it's not exciting to, to gradually make a change over the course of 11 years or, in my case, five years. Right. But it's so important. Uh, that's it's something that I learned from Leo at Zen Habits, and that has made so much difference for me in the way you know I make changes now. And and so many people, it, it does really resonate with people. Like when they hear that, you know that that they failed at making changes so often, and I did too. Was terrible at making change, and and kind of really got that in my head. Like I'm not able to change. But when you you know, learn about this other way of this really painless way of making very, very gradual change. All it takes is patience. Uh, it's, it, it can change so much about, about how successful you are with, with making changes. Well, yeah. And I, I find that it's like, for me, the battle is sometimes just D almost, um, not debriefing, but like deprogramming mm-hmm. the diet mentality. Because if you do work in and into adding positive steps, there's really no failure. Whereas if you give them a plan and they don't follow the plan perfectly, then there's failure. Yeah. And, and, and so it's constantly like I've with clients who are really frustrated. They understand it conceptually, but then why isn't it happening fast enough? If I go, it's happening exactly as fast as it's supposed to happen. Mm-hmm. You have your eye on the ball and you're taking on as much as you're ready to take on. If you were ready for more, you'd be taking on more. And when you're ready for more, you will take on more. But if you, if, you, know, if you stay in that direction, I find that to be, it's, it's all positive. Yep. There's no here's what you're not here's it's not about what you're not doing, it's about what you're doing. Yeah, and that that you know, taking away failure as as a possibility is is a huge part of it that I talked about with Rich on his podcast, Rich Roll, when I did his podcast, which is actually kind of how we met is through Rich in some way. Like you you emailed me and said you'd been on his podcast. That's right. And that's how I said like that thou you know, just well, it, gave, kind of, it gave me street cred. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So right. Sorry. You're like so you're not, so you're not just a jackass with right. a little book. Right. <laughs> you have to pass the rich roll t- litmus test. <laughs> have you been on Rich's podcast? You haven't. Okay, we'll talk later. <laughs> so anyway, what what Rich talked about, you know, and I it hadn't really occurred to me that that positive side of this gradual change paradigm, and that it was that yeah, it, like if you do all of a sudden go on a a quote unquote diet where like on this day, everything shifts and you are now under these new rules. If when you do have the almost inevitable day where you don't follow those rules, where you give into the craving or you give into the laziness and you don't go for a run or whatever it is, when perfection is the goal, you are bound to, to fail at it sometime. And when, when, when that happens, what people do is they entirely quit that day, like yeah. one little slip up and then it's like the dam has oh, burst and they're done. Yep, and yeah, they yeah, just yeah, give up. And I did it too. I mean, I'm, I'm not, throwing stones is that the right analogy metaphor i don't know sure but you know i've i've done that all plenty of times but in the gradual approach that doesn't really it can't happen because there there is no failure like if you're just kind of gradually transitioning then if you have a slip up day that's that's kind of part of it like that's, and I don't know, that's is that like mental is that like human nature because i even find today like i eat my thing is like i eat well 
part of what I advocate is it's what you do most of the time that sets your level of health. It's what you do most of the time. So if you change, if gradually you change what you do most of the time, then that's going to adjust your health in, in, in whatever way that you change that. But I do notice like on days where, because most of the time I eat a certain way that I'm as healthy as I want to be right now. I'm running really well. And except for hurting myself on my child's car seat, I'm, I'm actually doing really well on your plan too. Um, but I do notice like on days where let's say um, I start the day off and eat something that's like not what I typically do. I do have that in my brain, like, well, I did that, so I might as well do this, you know? <laughs> right, right. And it's like, bam, it just turns that on, you know? And I have to be, like, really careful to just kind of yeah. not do something I'm going to regret or that's in conflict. And right. That, you know? I think that is a universal thing. So I'm I'm guessing there's some some reason that is wired into our brains. Uh, I don't – I have no idea what that is. I wouldn't want to speculate. But that's why I'm a, big, a fan of having, like – not rules, but things that are constants in my days that kind of anchor me back. So like the smoothie in the morning and the salad in the afternoon, those are really the only two constants in my diet. And even and they're not entirely constant. Like certainly there are days when I'm when I don't have a smoothie or just manage to not have the salad for whatever reason. But having those in there, like let's say for lunch I do eat some whatever baked meat, chicken wings or something. Um and then do start to have that feeling because that salad habit is so ingrained. Like it's almost like that kind of overpowers the temptation. And I just go back to having that and that really resets things. And then the smoothie does the same thing in the morning. So I, that's why I think such a, that's such a huge thing is having some little daily ritual. It doesn't have to be too like that, but, mm. but that really does anger you and kind of prevent those big slip ups from, from happening. Right. And I think the I think the challenge for me just as a practitioner is to how to start somebody so small that they can actually start doing something daily. Right. You know, so sometimes it's literally like, can you get up and have a glass of water first thing in the morning? Can you do that every day? Because some, for some people, it's just, it's in, not in their, hasn't been in their radar. They know they want to get healthier, but they don't know how. And they've tried every diet and it's failed because they do. And so it's like how to start that day. But I think I agree with you. It's, it is that daily ritual. It's just the question is, what is the daily ritual? If the daily ritual is going to fast food three times a day, right. then that's going to yield you a level of health versus sure. you know something else. So it's how to shift that around sure. um, and that balance. But um, anyway, so I just find it interesting because I feel like there's a new guard of, of healthy living advocates out there that I think is really exciting, that is almost moving away from the labeled diet right. paradigm, right. which I you think know, is really cool. I haven't ever really step back and notice that it's just like I've, I've definitely noticed there's a new guard of like in within plant-based there's now the plant-based athletes and there's certainly like the you know like i'm i consider myself a not not a very pushy at all the opposite of pushy really um in that and, and i think that's sort of a new thing too is people taking an approach that's much more laid back and it's kind of like hey here's here's what i do and like if it's for you then then here are these tools to help you do it but like I'm not going to say you should necessarily, this is like, you have to do this or you are wrong for not doing this. Um, but I haven't really thought of the one like you, I mean, other than when reading your book saying, wow, this guy's a lot like me. And, and I totally agree about all this lifestyle stuff. Like it hadn't really occurred to me that there are, that that isn't, you know, a new thing that's, that's happening, uh -huh. but that's amazing that there is because I think it's, I, I don't know. I mean, maybe it's cause I, what, cause that's what I do that I think it's, it's the best, but like, that's fantastic. Like, I, like that's what it's all about is getting to the point where it is a lifestyle and not a diet anymore and not right. something that you quit at some point. 
what I like about your book is that you go, and I assume your the rest of your approach in general is that you go way beyond diet and even exercise. And I remember some part in your book about about like being a good friend and like texting friends and yeah. Well, uh, I realized early on that if I made it just about food, it's like I'm, I am setting somebody up for failure. And it's like I realized that, well, what I tried to do with the book is, and I. I always had to talk about the always have talked about the book and say, you know, it's not a nutrition book because of course I'm a nutritionist so that people think, oh, it's a cookbook or it's a, you know, it's like no, no. But I had to look at the health the health of the human being and say, you know, as a species, what is based on our design? What are we naturally doing should do or what is not should in like a good bad way, but like what are we designed to do basically? Mm-hmm. We're designed to, you know, all these kinds of things. And, and how to move somebody toward that. But clearly that's not just about food. And then it was like, okay, well, it's food and movement. But clearly it's not just about movement. And the thing about like the friends, it's like I just had a discussion with a guy um, yesterday, uh, two days ago, about technology. And he was like, you know, technology and maybe we try to do things that aren't, you know, uh, you know silicon-based kind of technology. And I, I told him, I said, you know, actually I use technology a lot in my practice and one of the things I talked about in the book is, is like, is it natural for us to be tribal? And I, I believe that it is. I think we evolved in, in in a tribal setting. So then cut to the modern world where we don't have the luxury of tribe. Like you were just talking about the fact that you moved, you know, you wanted to stay kind of close to your family, but you move a little farther away. I'm the same way. I'm kind of close, but not really. And we live in a small town and we don't have family here. My mother-in-law is about to move up, but we don't have that kind of tribe. But let's say that's the thing that we evolve that's natural to us we respond to that well how do you move closer and i advocate that sometimes the closest you can get is is texting people mm-hmm. but if you do it with intention and you think about it and you're doing it not like maybe texting is a distraction but texting with intention to keep people in your lives that you ordinarily wouldn't because life has taken over and you're commuting and working and all the things that we do and that's why in the book i did make that broad-based argument of how to include all those things right it's it's an interesting topic um i've by the way we should we should point out because i didn't get this until several chapters into your book but approaching the natural what that means is exactly what you're talking about there is this standard of natural and what you're doing is helping people to gradually approach that even if full attainment of it isn't the goal because that's not really practical nowadays, right? Like no one is going to live in the forest. I always exactly. say you're not, yeah. you're not going back. <laughs> right, right. So how do we kind of, exactly. you know? Yeah. So yeah. how do we approach that and just get closer and closer sort of as a practice? How do we make it our goal to get, get closer over time? Right. Um, but yeah, technology I've, I actually had not resisted buying a smartphone uh, until this book tour. And I was adamant that I did not want one just wanted a regular junkie phone so that I would not have the urge to go in there and refresh Twitter every two minutes and then check my email every five minutes and just, you know, ruin everything about my life basically and just start becoming like on this all-time grid world where I lived in this electronic world. And there are some great conveniences about the cell phone, but I've kind of found that a lot of that is happening. And maybe it's like a self-control issue and I'm just not good at preventing myself from from doing exactly what I feared. But... I felt like driving across the country, like a lot of the time I was caught up in this kind of digital world when I wished it would have been 10 years ago and I just didn't even have that. And I just would have had to sit there bored and like look out the window and enjoy the country because I think that does do so much for you. So then where I'm going with this is my 
my question was, I'm certainly not anti-technology. Like, I, I think it's a great thing. I wouldn't have a, this job if it wasn't, you know, I wouldn't be able to do this if, if it wasn't about technology. Right. So I'm like, I don't know where this line is. Like, what what do I like about technology and what don't I like about it? But what you just said, like, when it does, you know, like, when you can use it to sort of, sim, like, you know, simulate or replicate what used to be our behavior. That's like, right. Yeah. Then it's sort of useful. Right. Because the world has changed. We're not in that tribal situation anymore. Right. When technology can help us still capture some parts of that, it's a good thing. Like I love video chatting, for instance. Mm-hmm. Is it better than sitting across from, like I'm sitting across from you? Like, no, not even close. Right. But is it the best? Is it better than nothing? Yes. Yeah. Or better than talking on the phone I without video? Than, than probably. Yeah, yeah. You have kids. I mean, how great? Have you video chatted? Oh, all that? yeah. All right. the time. I mean, how great is it? So yep. to me, it's like technology isn't bad per se. It's how, it's always how you use it. And that's why for me, like in the book, it's, it, and then it was like beyond technology, you know, I advocate for, for, you know, meditative kinds of exercises like journaling, but again, you know, micro steps, but that's not technology at all. So it's really always about, it's always about the balance. It's always about, are you ha- asking yourself, are you happy? Are you healthy? And if you're not making moves, so maybe texting has become a thing I'm totally guilty of it, by the way. I'll have my phone. My wife will be like, put the damn phone down. Mm-hmm. You know, because I don't be like, you're totally right. Like, it's like, ah, I'm holding the phone. So it is a balance issue. And sometimes setting that phone down is totally the right thing. But to say, you know, why well, I shouldn't have a phone at all, sometimes that's a, a bummer living in the modern world as we do. And that's your only connection and keeping connected to the tribe. Right. And then that's right. a good thing. Yep. Sort of a jump in topics, but you, you mentioned journaling, which is something I really want to do and recognize the benefits of benefits of and have have successfully done it for months at a time but always managed to drop it it's like the first thing that goes when when things get busy how do you i mean do you have any any tips for just adopting that habit yeah I mean, is so it the same as i always else? i always go so i my thing is i go smaller i'm like the world record holder for smaller than anybody would ever think to go like <laughs> i don't know that's like the worst record by the way that doesn't even make it into the guinness book um, no, the no, guy no. who's the most annoying <laughs> with regards to go smaller but no it really is first of all it's like have a journal with you have a journal that's small enough to fit in your pocket put it in your pocket that to me is the first thing because i notice if i carry a journal with me i'm more apt to journal I mean just having it on my person if you have it in your bag and your bag's not with you then i gotta get that and then also just starting small. If it's a sen- literally a sentence, a word. I mean, just starting on that level. If you do something that is you could do every day, then you, like you said, you've got your smoothie and you got your salad. You you brush your teeth twice a day. I'm assuming. Uh, I look at you half, at least twice half a time. day. <laughs> One half times per day. One half. <laughs> every other day I brush my teeth. <laughs> okay, so fifty percent of your day, if fifty percent of your year is, is done brushing teeth, but it is something you do regularly. Of course. So people are like, wow, that's a lot. But it's like, I always go, do you brush your teeth? You know, we do things every day. The question is, what do we always, what do we do every day? And so journaling can be just like anything else. It's like you start just smaller than you even think is ridiculous. Right. And it's always more right. than you would have done ever. Always. Yep. You know, most of the time when people start that small, by the way, they, once they get the pen on the paper, they'll then yeah. journal. Yep. You know? And that's how, same with any other habit running. I mean, get out the door is often the... The way you how. start, and, and then once you're out there, or once you run for five minutes, you almost never come back. Yeah, just because you start feeling good, and it's actually fun. Yeah, and I'm so, like for me with the trampoline, like you know, on days that I'm not running or I have to take the kids to school, so I don't have time to run before because I'm getting them up. Sometimes I'll jump on the tramp, 
you know, that's not natural. But again, it's more natural than not exercising, mm-hmm. right? That's how right. kind of how I look at it. But right. sometimes I have to play. I, most of the days I play the game of, well, I really should do a trampoline this way, you know, with the, my strap, my suspension trainer thing. <laughs> okay, I'm just going to get on it. I won't do anything. But as right. soon as I get on it, then it's, then it's okay. And I do it every day. Mm-hmm. You think I would learn by now. <laughs> but I, every day I have that same talk with myself. Just get on. It's going to be, you don't have to do anything else. <laughs> it's yep. like, God, it's so weird the way our brains work. <laughs> All right, so another topic um, that is, again, shifting kind of widely. But you mentioned a few minutes ago talking to people about, maybe it wasn't even talking to people, but how we are meant to eat, uh, which is, to me, a fascinating discussion. And I'm interested to hear what, how you think we are meant to eat. I mean, as far as looking back, you know, throughout history, how are people meant to eat? Are we meant to have no meat at all, in your opinion? I th- here's what I think. I think, and this is why I've written about, um, you know, and talked about the paleo thing. You know, there's like a battle now. And this is why, you know, that whole thing of like labels and stuff kind of gets me. Because I think it, sometimes you miss the, the subject, which is that all of us paleo and vegans and everybody else is just trying to figure out a good diet. I mean, that's what we're trying to figure out. Let's keep it on the ball. We're trying to figure out how to live as healthy as possible. So I would say that... Physical design aside, because clearly the you know the enzyme in our mouths, amylase, that's there to digest carbohydrate, the length of our intestines, all that kind of stuff. Now, there are going to be people listening to this podcast now, yeah, but anyway, the acid levels in our stomachs, all those kinds of things. That aside, I think human beings are designed, I think physically there is a drive in us that's beyond you and me to survive and to thrive. I think our bodies are trying to to do the best that they can in at any moment. With that said, we can either do things that help our bodies to that end or or more hinder. Evolutionarily speaking, our bodies at any time are going to find the best possible situation that they can find. In the past, sometimes that would be plants when they were available, but guess what? Never refined. Because it didn't exist no, in nature. Right, so not. whole plants, period. So the discussion even of whole plants is kind of ridiculous because it's it's not ridiculous, but it's just artificial because we're the ones that made the refined plants. Right. They didn't even exist in nature. So right. now we have a whole plant movement. It's like, well, we should just have a plant movement, you know, because <laughs> you know, we're the one that made the Ritz crackers. You know what I'm saying? So if there was no whole plants available, the bo- we were going to go to animals. We're going to find a calorie source. The body's going to survive. The body's going to survive. If there's whole plants, the body's going to go for those because we don't have to expend a whole bunch of energy to eat whole plants. It's there. If we go have to run down an antelope, that's a ton of energy expended. It doesn't make any sense survival-wise to put ourselves in danger or to expend a whole bunch of energy to find an animal. We will if we don't have enough calorie sources otherwise. So the whole thing about the paleo of like, well, they we've had a history of eating meat. Of course. Of course. The question is, do we need to? nowadays in the modern world do we need to no clearly not i mean maybe some places but in the united states in most places except for these food deserts where you literally can't get food it's mm-hmm. unbelievable mm-hmm. It's shocking i just did an interview with some guys down in la who are running this groceryships.com who are helping under um needy families with food and education of plant-based and things like that. It's really cool because there's places that it's just hard to get food that's a whole nother, a whole nother discussion. <laughs> but um, 
So that's how I feel. I feel it's not a paleo wasn't three meals a day. Paleo has become a diet. Yeah, it's become a you know we'll have this much this and measure that and a little bit of you know this much meat and this da 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 da. And that's just not how it was. We didn't we didn't plan things out like that. So to me, people go, what about three meals a day? I think that's cuckoo. We didn't even eat every day. There were days we didn't eat. Our bodies are designed to not eat sometimes and to eat sometimes. I know you read that book. In fact, I got it because you recommended that book, Waterlogged, mm-hmm. which I totally find it makes, it's like one of these things like I've been thinking about for a long time and finally I read that book and I was like, of course, that's just right. totally. like, God, why are we doing the math to replace the exact amount of water? Our bodies <laughs> are designed so perfectly, you know, and then if we get out of the way of mother nature, usually we're going to be okay. But when we try to plan things and measure things, we fail every time. We yep. just haven't gotten there yet. Yep. So that's my answer. My answer is we're going to find the best calorie source. We need to find the best calorie source. By definition, I find the best calorie source to be the calories that come with the most micronutrients, the things that help the machine run more efficiently and cleanly. And those right. are plants. Period. Just plant. Period. Like I just can't have a discussion about that. If I didn't have access to whole plants, I would eat animals. Probably. <laughs> but now, like I heard Ar- Michael Arnstein, he goes, even if you know, it wasn't health, you know, he, he just like wouldn't eat animals, period. But I, I just, you know, who knows? Well, what, if the alternative was dying? I mean, he, What's that? If the alternative was starving to Yeah, that, no, he no, he, he was like, even if it's not healthier for me to eat whole plants, I'm still going to eat plants. Okay. Like he's, he's just like, for so ethical not, reasons? I mean, yeah, for yeah, ethical sure. reasons. Yeah, that's just a choice. Yeah, but again, yeah. that's a conflict, you know, a, a, you know, that's an ethical choice for him. That's a value-based choice. But I see, I feel like, and I think you would agree that that plays into the picture of health and happiness is because I've met people who, and I talk about this all the time, who are, and I think we talked about it at dinner, who eat really healthy food, but I wouldn't describe as healthy because their relationship to food isn't in balance. Mm-hmm. I mean, what is your experience in that? Yeah, I, I have a very, that, I mean, that was this is why I put the word happiness in the subtitle of my book. It was Run on Plants and Discover Your Fittest, Fastest, Happiest Self. And the happiest thing for me in my memory sticks out as the day I went vegan, or I guess my first grocery trip after I went vegan. Um, I remember standing in the grocery store looking at labels on like a box of cereal, because I guess then I wasn't quite as into Whole Foods as I am now, and I still was buying some sort of cereal. But I remember just reading a label and thinking, wow, this is what I always associated with being vegan, having to do this, having to like really look at everything. But I realized that I was just like sort of inexplicably happy as I was doing this. I was like, this feels really good what I'm doing. And and since then, it, it just has always seemed that way. It just has felt like such perfectly like congruent with my beliefs. Whereas when I was a vegetarian and started to learn about dairy and stuff like that and just, you know, it was a very weird thing because for so long I thought, well, that doesn't matter because they're not actually killing the animal to get it. But as I learned more and more about it, um, just started to not feel right about it. Same way I had started to not feel right about meat several years prior. And when I actually did it, it it just felt so perfect and right at the time that that I knew it was the right decision and haven't ever, ever considered going back. And it, it has been, uh, you know, a, a path approaching, you know, a higher level of happiness each time. And it, it's, you know, I don't know if that's, if that's because I've moved towards Whole Foods you know, in, I would try, I guess I always try to sort of imagine what the uh, skeptic is going to say. Like, well, maybe that's because you move towards whole foods instead of towards plants. You know, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it is that I move towards whole foods. But as you as you move towards what does just seem like the more natural thing, um, 
yeah, it just, I don't know. Yeah, of course your levels of happiness go up. I mean, if, if such a huge part of your life, which is food, similarly with exercise, I mean, if you are, as you as you do what, what we are more designed to do, then it makes total sense. And maybe to some people that's strange, but to me it makes total sense that your mind would be linked to your physical body. I mean, very, very closely, inseparably linked that, that of course you're going to feel happier when you, when you're doing what's right for your body. Yeah. And I, and that, and that's why I think it's not just about food because if you, if it, because I talk about health and happiness in, in my book, it's always health and happiness, health and happiness. And so like, if you say, well, I'm just going to eat the healthiest food, you can not be happy doing that. And, yeah. that, and that's my point. It's like, really, what are we trying to do here with all the things that are so successful out there with products and, and diet books and all these kinds of things is, again, I'll come back to this. Like, we are trying to be, we may think with a diet that we're just trying to lose weight, but the fact is we're trying to be help, happy, yeah, right? I mean, that's course. why we want to lose weight, usually because we feel better about ourselves when we're fit. So it's like just to keep your eye on the ball that way and then to say, well, what, may, what would make you happy? Is it just about food? Because you could be totally miserable eating really good food, but you're constricting yourself. You didn't get there in the way that it's life-changing, you know, lifestyle-changing, and you and you force these kinds of things, and you restrict, and you're on a, you know, weighing and all this kind of crazy stuff. We do, and ruins your life. Yeah, right, and that's not a... What's the point? I mean, and often, and often, if you are eating that good food, I, I don't, haven't seen any science to support this, but my gut feeling and what I've heard anecdotally is that if you are, you know, if you're not happy in your life, then your body can very easily pack on pounds, even if you're eating the best food in the world. If you're not, if you're, if something in you is not congruent and not fulfilled, then, uh, yeah, I, I just think that link, and maybe I've kind of gone this way over the years as I've gotten a little more kooky and uh, new agey, but it, it just makes total sense that that if you're not happy with something else, then then yeah, your body can can certainly like, that can show up in your body whether in the form of disease or obesity or whatever else. Well, I, I completely agree. I mean, I talk about stress like a billion times in my book because on a purely physical level, one of the body's stress responses is to hold on to extra weight, especially in the midsection. You know, I can look at a body and I can say, that's a body under stress right away. And mm -hmm. I've been, I've, I said in the book, I've been passed in races, half marathons by people overweight who are booking faster <laughs> than I am, but they're obviously not in balance. I mean, right, their bodies are right. not in balance. Gotcha. And there's not a species in the world besides humans, wild anyway, that are overweight, if you notice. I mean, animals we domesticate are overweight. Sure. But in the wild, they're not. They they generally are hitting a balance with the external world. If they're not, usually it's because there's some sort of man intervention, you know, human intervention that's messed up some sort of environmental factor in their lives. But we're the ones that are out of balance. And if we can look at weight and health as just simply balance, then it it can't but take into consideration stress of any kind. It's balance in your relationships and everything else, and just the whole thing of emotional eating. You know, when I teach people, when I'm coaching people, if they're emotional eaters, you know, yes, of course I recommend foods because you usually can't overeat a bowl of broccoli, for instance. So mm -hmm. some it's part of that emotional eating thing is the food you're eating because it trips that little pleasure center. But the other yep. thing is, why are you emotionally eating? I mean, what is it that you're distracting yourself from? They have to get to that point, usually with help of psychologist hmm. or whatever, but they've got to get behind the veil and say, what is get, what's getting me to that point? Right. And that's a happiness issue. Yeah, which is a, a much, uh, makes your job a lot harder, I guess, right? <laughs> well, it does. And I've had clients where I literally say, you know, 
I want to work with you, but I'm not a psychologist. Yeah. And so I need you to kind of explore these kinds of things. And I can help you change the food that's around you so that when you are going to feel like you're going to emotionally eat, you, you won't. One of the exercises I do with people is have them sit down with a big bowl of lettuce with no dressing, no seasoning, and like watch a movie. So they're distracted. And that's a situation where maybe they would overeat a whole bunch of junk food, let's mm-hmm. say, but with a whole bowl of lettuce, they can't overeat that. <laughs> so it's partly emotional, but it's partly the food too. You know, right. we've created, people aren't emotionally eating whole unflavored natural plants in all their glory. They're overeating things that have been artificially sweetened or artificially salted, period, period. Have yeah. you ever known anybody who's just like, I couldn't stop eating that the celery last night, <laughs> my God. <laughs> and even if they did, what would be the harm? You know what I mean? Right. No, they'd be losing calories. Right? They want it. Yeah. They, the, the negative calorie they food. Say, yeah. They want a distraction. <laughs> right. They want a distraction. And that, and I get it, man, because yeah. we all do sometimes. But again, that question is how much, how much of your life are you being distracted? I mean, there's the balance there. You know, what's interesting as much as I thought I had, I have a very healthy relationship with food and it's, it's gotten healthier over the past three, four years as I've really started to pay attention to whole foods. Um, I did it like a juice cleanse or juice fast, I guess you would call it, or juice feast. I don't even know what, what the right name for it was, but I was drinking like six glasses of juice a day and some were fruit juice and some were vegetable juice. But I, I was the healthiest eater that I knew even then, as far as like in my real life, among my friends and family. But when I, when it would hit like three o'clock in the afternoon and I'd be doing work and I would, it would occur to me that I'd go into that. I just didn't realize how often at that time of day, dinner is a comfort to me. The thought of dinner in two hours or three hours and sitting down to a warm meal with the family, um, how comforting that was. And when that was gone and when I said, oh my gosh, it's, it's, uh, it's just broccoli juice and carrot juice tonight. Like it it was amazing. Yeah. It was amazing to me how, how almost depressing that was in that moment. And I had never thought there was any, that I had any emotional issues with food. I thought it was just purely, you know, put it into my body yeah. to, to provide fuel. Like that and was tw- it. And 20 bucks says you probably weren't even hungry when you were thinking about that. Well, I was on a juice fast. I know. Did you feel hungry? <laughs> I honestly don't even remember. See, because the thing is I've done juice fast. I never, I'm not hungry. Uh-huh. I don't feel hunger, but man, do I miss the food. Yeah. That, I'm I mean, like burrito time now. Like the, it's burrito 30, you know? Yep. When <laughs> yeah, I, yeah. when I did, cause, and both times I've tried those, I've, I've quit them earlier than I expected to once lasted like two days and once maybe like four days. It's always, it's never been quitting because of actual hunger. Yeah. It's been quitting because I was the misery. Yeah. Like partly the emotional missing that just satisfying whatever it is that food gives you. That's so satisfying. And also like the taste and and the, the textures and the things, but it wasn't hunger. It wasn't that my stomach was saying, I need you to put something in me now. Right. And that's because, I mean, this is the way I look at it. This is the filter that I see everything through it. So I feel like we, we live in the modern world. We, food is one of the things presented to us on a daily basis that allows us to check out. And, and it's, it's, it's just what it is because I'm the same. I, sometimes I talk about this and I always have to say, I, this is me too. Like this is yep. me, this is you, yep. this is all, this is mo- This is human being in the modern world. Because guess what? If you lived in the wild, you would have no conflict there. You'd just be eating what you could eat. Yeah. Right. But in the modern world, you've got to battle with that. And the question is, can you pay attention enough to to check a balance so that are you as ask yourself, are you as healthy as you want to be? Because if you're as healthy as you want to be, you don't need to change anything. 
But if you're not as healthy as you want to be, then the comfort you get from a meal may be tipping this, the balance in a way that doesn't yield you the health that you want to be. Right. You know, as healthy right. as you want yep. to be. And you have to work, and this is, and then how you do it is by little steps, but you have to create a thing where maybe some meals where you, it's not like you don't, I don't not like fruit, but I'm eating fruit ton now, like yeah. during the day. Sure. I enjoy it, but it's not the enjoyment like a burrito is. Right. Period. No, I never no. feel hungry, but man, if I'm around something that's too tempting, I'll just go right after it, even though <laughs> right. I'm not hungry. Right. 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 So, sure. but it's, it all comes down to pay, how you pay attention to it. Yeah. How you think about it. Yeah. And I don't, I don't mean to suggest, by the way, that, that eating, that having an emotional attachment to food is bad because of, I mean, if it makes sense that, you know, we're talking back in the tribe days, like if, if food was scarce and you, you suddenly did get it, that would be a tremendous comfort. I mean, it, it should be that you could fill your, stomach up and be full and, and know that you are safe for the next two days or whatever, whatever a, a big meal got you. Um, so I'm not saying it's a bad thing to have an emotional, but it just, it was just amazing to me to, to actually kind of experience it and understand that it really was there. Cause I'd always assumed that was something that was only for people who had weight issues and like, you know, had emotional eating issues that, that I had never didn't have, or I thought. Oh yeah, and I had the same experience. But now, I mean, even now, I've been eating better than I've probably ever eaten in my life. And I always joke that I, I joke, but it's true that I there are certain things I can't have in the house still, like Numino Oreos. Like <laughs> yeah, I cannot yeah. have them in the house. And I, I say, and I'm not even joking. And still to this day, you know, I work at a wellness center that has a restaurant, and sometimes I'll go down and grab some food. And I, at least once a week, I'll drive home, and on my way home, I'll call my wife to tell her I'm on my way, and I'll say, when I get home, I don't want to eat anything. I already ate. I'm done. Please mm-hmm. help me not eat anything. Right. But I know I just know that about myself. And I'm a health coach, nutritionist. Like this is what I do for a living. Total battle. Yep. All the time. Yep. Because I but I understand that that's what it is. Because I understand that those foods trip your little trip my little thing in my brain. I ain't getting rid of it. Yeah. You I know? don't. I don't know. I mean, maybe some people will come forward and say there, but I don't. I don't know that anybody is immune to. If you have the right food in the house, you will eat every last one of them. Like I'm the same way with Numinos and. Certain kinds of like, I don't even know the name of them, but those Dorito like chips that are made out of rice things. If a bag of those is in the house, I will eat them until they're gone. Yeah. The good thing is, it's not hard for me to avoid that in the store though. Like, it's very easy to just walk past it and say, "No, I know that's not yeah, like yeah. the food yeah. that I get." Well, it depends on how hungry you are when you I shop. Guess, yeah, I suppose it does. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like that's so true. Like, yeah, don't shop totally. when you're hungry. It's freaking true. Yep. <laughs> yep. Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, that's I just think I think the more we acknowledge the the what i say are facts the more we acknowledge our design and the more we acknowledge that those foods that we that banana split we had for dinner is a is a is a pleasure center thing and that's why it's a special meal and when it's a special meal then it's really fun mm-hmm. but if i did that every night it would it would be a lot less fun right really fast you know if i just if i ate that sure. way we did tonight sure. every night it would be a lot less fun Oh, and yeah. I, I kind of keep going to it maybe because then it would keep this kind of downward spiral of like feeling less good and therefore I want to distract myself from that fact and et cetera, et cetera. And then I'd have to break to break that cycle right. somehow. Right. Yeah, exactly. It's I, I've heard. Um, okay, this is unrelated in some way, but on my in my car I have this. Um, I'm into like the motivational stuff. I mentioned Tony Robbins. Yeah, too, yeah, yeah. Well, you mentioned it on so, Ritual's podcast. I thought <laughs> that was so funny. I was like, I mentioned Tony that Robbins is so great. Yeah. Um, so I've recently gotten into Zig Ziglar, who's like even more old school and even more, uh, I don't know, put upon kind of like prototypical, you know, motivational speaker. But anyway, I heard him, uh, 
he was saying something about about drinking, and he said basically he didn't know which drink would be the one that that you know was eventually responsible for making him an alcoholic. He's not an alcoholic, or was not an alcoholic, uh-huh. but but his he was just saying I don't drink because I don't know which one's going to be the one that puts me too far down the down the line. Oh, yeah. So what you were saying about banana splits, I mean, yes, you could eat banana splits five nights in a row, and you'd probably be fine and recover, but. It it's like no one's immune to, or very few people I would say are immune to that kind of bad habit food thing. Where if you do have too many, or especially if if you have emotional stuff with it, where after three uh, three nights in a row of banana splits, you'd start to say, like start to feel bad about it, and then use it as a distraction. Like it, it kind of makes sense. Like it, you don't know when it does become an issue, and it, and I've experienced things like that that you know that that do kind of. You think you have something under control, and then and then three, four weeks later, you don't. So, um, yeah, I, I can see what you're saying. I mean, it's I like to think that I'm in control of my food for sure, but but I totally understand that. Like, yeah. if, you, if you do it too much, you you can you can develop bad habits, no matter who you are, no matter if this is what you do um, as a job or what. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. I think it's a I think it's a I think it's a human issue. I think it's a human struggle, and I think that part of it is part of the trick is is figuring out a way to get that stuff away from your immediate you know surroundings as much as possible because I think we are wired to find calorie rich calorie sources. Oh yeah, of and course. And in the are. wild again in the wild it wouldn't be there would be nothing bad for you even the animals in the wild are completely healthier than the ones we factory farm. And so it, it's like if you can surround yourself with food that's mostly healthy most of the time, you're there there's a lot less struggle there. Yeah. If I don't have the Numenos in the house, I'm not going to the market to get them. That's yeah. why I haven't had Numenos in six months. Yeah. Not because I wouldn't plow through a package right now if it were on the table. You of know course, what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like there's I just need to make the conscious choice not to have them near me. And that's something you've mentioned the pleasure center thing a few times now, and you mentioned to me that you were going to do that soon, do something more extensive on it. But that that's a fascinating topic that a lot of people don't really just aren't aware of. But it, you know, the idea is basically that we have these pleasure centers in our brain and fat and sugar, you know, fat and sugar are extremely fat is calorie rich. Of course, sugar is very available, very quick energy. So we are wired to seek that stuff out and to enjoy those flavors. So it's, it's now that we have the technology and ability to remove those from the foods that they're kind of meant to be in, that our bodies are meant to eat and enjoy. Uh, and now that they're so abundant, you know, now you go to a Seven Eleven and get the, all the fat and sugar you want, yeah. whereas it used to take a lot of work and you know, killing an animal and whatever else. Um, it's just so easy to, I mean, it's almost like the deck is stacked against us in that way. Like it's like all the stuff is here that we're wired to love. Well, I think I would put, I always put, I put all three of the micronutrients in that, in that thing. I put fat, sugar, and protein, really? fat, fat, carbohydrate, and protein because we, because we're not a high protein species and people are going to go crazy that I just said that we need protein. Human breast milk is less than 5% protein. Mm-hmm. We're not, we're not a high protein species. We, we run best on carbohydrate, but the fact that we have access to a disproportionate amount of protein, I mean, look at the protein bars you can get with whey protein, which is an isolate protein, soy protein isolate, vegan, but junk, Yep. junk. Yep. It's protein off the charts. And anytime we make something that's off the charts and then, but notice I said, we make it because we're the ones that are making beef jerky totally accessible all the time. I mean, by most estimates, 
Paleolithic even in that area, 5% of right. our diets came from animal protein. Yep. 5%. In this country in 1900, it was about 5%. Meat used to be, animals used to be very expensive. So the, we have tipped the scales yet again, and we've made fat right there, sugar right there, and pro, high protein foods, not by percentage, but by pure like gram. Like mm-hmm. there's more protein in kale than there's in beef. But just the fact that you can get a ton of calories yeah, in a stick right. of beef jerky and just shoot you right through the roof. When you recalibrate, when your body calibrates to that on a daily basis, it's going there. Sure. It's gonna just gonna try to find that. Yeah, that's absolutely. when it becomes addictive. Yeah, in a way that you have to really fight. Yeah, that, that's it's a. I don't know. It makes total sense when you think about that. Like, why are we just as a culture? Why are we so sick and obese? And it makes total sense. I mean, that that we're not we're not really meant to have access to foods like that. But not as not as much as we not as much as we do. And people go like, oh, I just like I crave you know chicken because I need the protein. It's like no, you crave chicken because it tastes the way that you like the taste. It gives you comfort. At least acknowledge it, and if you still want to eat chicken, eat chicken. Right. No, most for, people don't crave the, the chicken with no seasoning on it, just like yeah, raw chicken. No, chicken and if you really want a protein, you eat a bunch of kale because it's fifty percent protein. But right. I mean, you know what I mean? Like you need to, you do what gorillas do, and they eat leaves all day. But that it's like just be honest about. Let's all just be honest. Like I can acknowledge that we've got, our, you know, we just have this stuff going on, and then we can we can maybe take steps to to change if we choose to change. Yeah. The unfortunate part is that a lot of people don't even know that they're not being honest. Like, like people really do have it in their heads that you need that, you know, basically the, the most fundamental assumption is you need meat for protein. And like, if you're not getting meat, you're not getting protein. So people will, will, will go seek out meat because they believe that, that they believe that they're tired because they don't have protein basically. Right. And meat is a solution to get protein. Well, in, there's two fundamental misconceptions. One is that they, that there's no protein, protein except for in meat. And two, that we need a ton of protein. Yep. So those are those two things together are equal in industry that makes billions of dollars and that's fine. That's I'm not even going to get into that, but that's sure. what that is. It's an yeah. ad campaign. And I show this pamphlet. I should show you before I leave, but um, that my wife was given in in the doctor's office that says nutrition and pregnancy. It was a pamphlet, and, and the copyright is National Cattlemen's Beef Association. Right. And I show that in my classes because right. right. people can't believe it. They're like, why Why are you talking all this stuff you're saying? Why isn't that out there? Well, because we're we're bombarded by advertisements. I mean, that's, we're bombarded. There's no conspiracy. We're bombarded by advertisements. That's it. Sure. But there's a different picture of health that I think you and I are, definitely you and I are advocating and a lot of people out there are advocating and doing really well on it. I'm fascinated with the guys like you and, and you know, Scott Jurek and Rich and, and, and Brendan Brazier because you're not just surviving well, you're th- thriving. I mean, you ran a hundred mile race and then you were like, eh, I got to do 40. <laughs> you know, like, like it's like nothing, right. you know, when I say I got to do a 40, it's a, you know, 40, I'm drinking a 40, but that's just, that's just different. That's pleasure center too, by the way, old English. Um, but, but no, but no, I don't really do that for the record. Uh, but you just ran a 40 and you were like, yeah, it's kind of a pain. I mean, yeah. what, what is your baseline? Could you go out the door every now and run 30 miles? Yeah. Well, I mean, the two beers I've had tonight wouldn't help with that. I don't think, but, um, but yeah, I, I mean that you're yeah. just at that baseline. That blows my mind. Yeah, and it's you know what? It's almost not a fitness baseline. And by the way, I should, I mean, I I am flattered that you would group me with those guys, but they're elite athletes. I am not. You know, I ran a hundred miles. Okay, but I can't even drive a hundred miles. <laughs> okay, well, but I guess what I would argue, and this is this is not just me being modest. This is also what I hope is encouraging to people listening to this, is that I think 
getting to that point where you can run a marathon, where you could literally just drop everything and go run a marathon if someone told you to, is somewhat independent of fitness level. Um, fitness is important, but just having put in miles over five or ten years, your body really does learn to efficiently run. Yeah. So I'm, like the example that I always give is if you took someone who's run three or four marathons and then let them get out of shape, let them do nothing and overeat for six months and tell them then a gun to their head, go outside and run a half marathon right now, they can get it done because their body's learned how to run. Whereas uh-huh. someone who's never done those marathons but is in the exact same fitness now as this person is couldn't do it or at least uh-huh. would, would have a huge struggle getting it done. Uh, and it's probably because your body has learned how to do it. Uh-huh. And that's just the, you know, not even the conscious learning. At a conscious level, there's also the the learning what is the pace you can reasonably hold for that period. So like if I were to go out and run a 50K right now, I'd be doing it at, I mean, I don't know, a 10 or 11 minute pace or and I wouldn't dare go faster than that if I knew I had to run 30 miles at the drop of a hat because uh-huh. because I would know that I would quit someone who has much less experience would go out at their half marathon pace because just because they're not familiar with with a slower pace they're not comfortable running slower than that got it so a lot of it is in your head and certainly fitness plays a part but not as big a part as people think and then, like, but if you ran 20 miles tomorrow morning, would you feel sore, or you just rec- like you recover because your body's running so efficiently? You also just you just it doesn't it doesn't that level of efficiency yields a recovery that is light on your body. I mean, at what yeah, point are you that. at what point are you pushing it when you try to try to do it faster? Yeah, running faster, that's running your, harder that's to your train. Thing now. Sure. Okay. Sure. But and going further, I mean, if I ran 30 miles, I'd be sore. If I ran, you would. if I ran 20, yeah, if I ran 20. I would be tired. It wouldn't ruin my day or anything. If you ran 30, could you run the next day? Yeah. I mean, I could run. Not wouldn't want to be in a race. Yeah, but you could but actually... But you could run get... three or five miles if yeah. that was... And yeah, and people... And not, like, people who are really serious runners and really dedicated, even not elites, just people who love running so much that they want to do it every day, they do that stuff all the time. Like, yeah. that is that is routine for... Yeah. It's amazing. I mean, there are people who, who do that all the time. Close my mind. <laughs> yeah, but... Ultra running is different. It, it's just a fun, it's fun, but it's very, very different from like trying to run your fastest half marathon. It's an entirely different mentality and mindset. And it's cool that people think and, and that it has a name like ultra running. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's not, it's just different. It's a mental challenge. It's not about being in the ultimate physical shape or anything like that. It's just the distance. I was talking to you at dinner, like just doing the 16 mile that is on your plan. It's just, I've never run that far. You know, and so part of it for me is just, and I ran it nice and, you know, 10 minute miles is kind of easy because on your advice, you know, mm-hmm. but it was also just like, I kind of wish I could run it faster because then it'd be over faster. Right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was like, holy crap, I had two hours and 42 minutes and I'm glad I ran at that speed because I ran it fine. I felt good, a little sore, you know, um, mostly because I fell in my son's car seat, but that's aside, but <laughs> you know, but just like I, I got through the run fine, but it was just like two hours and 42 minutes of just like no music, you know, and I didn't bring music or anything. Yeah. Well, you're approaching the natural. So I'm approaching the natural, so. yeah. And also, I'm like approaching the bobcat in the, on the trail. You know, I'm sort of like, I don't really want to zone out you know? <laughs> right. and listen to some podcast right. and then get attacked by some animal you know, that I can't, that I didn't hear coming <laughs> right. up behind me. You know, so that's a rural living for you. But anyway, yeah. But the, the boredom, like that's that is my limiting factor as far as running. Like, I would be a much better runner if I truly loved and thrived on it the way like some quote unquote runners do people who who are like runners to the core and like they need their run to feel good and like they just crave their run like i've never really had that running is kind of a a great it's a great outlet it keeps me in shape and is not 
miserable. Like I don't hate doing it, but it keeps me in shape. And it's been sort of a vehicle for demonstrating to myself that I can accomplish things that at one point seemed impossible. Like uh-huh. like the qualifying for Boston when my first marathon was an hour and 40 minutes slower than right. that. The 100 mile, those things, you know, they were things that at some point I thought, no way can I do that. And like even in the, even in the moment of that Boston Boston qualifying race, mile twenty two, like I thought I was going to fail because I I had been there before at that point when the wheels start falling off. Uh-huh. But like for a variety of reasons, I was able to keep going. A big part of which was the was having the blog and having the accountability and knowing all these people right. were there. You tried, but yeah, but it was it was incredible. Once I crossed the finish line, to to think, wow, a half an hour ago. I did not believe this was going to happen. Right. It was, and then, and then, then I did it. Like that—that right. that is to me so powerful in ways that go far beyond running. Uh-huh. So that, like, that's why I love running. Some people though love it for just the charge it gives them and the time to be outside and whatever else. So, um, I'm I lost my train of thought about what I was talking about with running. Well, just <laughs> but, you know that why you run. Oh I mean, yeah. Why, so, no, but um, why I need to listen to music and stuff like that. Oh, got like, it. So boredom is my thing. On a on a 16-mile run, anything over 10 miles, I will start to need something. Or else I'll be like you. I'll be like, I want to get this done. So what ways can I do Do you that? wait for 10 miles to put your music on? Or do you just know where well, you're going over 10, so you just like you just pop on the whatever? Yeah, I'll, I'll just put it on. Right, like right, if, it's yeah. a, if it's a 20-mile run, one of the few things that will get me out the door is knowing that I can catch up on all the podcasts or audio. Because uh-huh. I love that stuff. Like right. to, I'm a big reader and you know, having kids around the house, you just don't get that kind of time. So now, now that running for me is one of my times to like really learn and like, and I think your mind really does running at a very slow pace really does open your mind to, to create and receive information and things like that. So I, I love listening to audiobooks and things like that. And that, that's one of the things that makes it bearable really for me to go out and do 20 miles on, on the Saturday. So would you, so, so this is funny that you went here because I, I actually kind of wanted to go here anyway in this conversation, but part of, part of what I advocate for is, is, is the picture of human health is to, is to increase creativity because I think human beings are naturally creative. I think we have a mind that works in a creative way. I notice it's really interesting with people. Even my daughter was doing something. We were putting together bunk beds. I mentioned this in an old podcast, but I had her, she wanted to help. And so she was doing something. And within like a minute, she was like, oh, I think if I do it this way, it'll work better. Like the brain, the human brain does work that way. Right. And I think the more that we introduce that, and I think it's very easy in the modern world, again, to to escape things that are creative yeah and that it goes for me it goes for learning it goes to learning and all those kinds of things and so that's a really interesting thing for you but but having that you just mentioned but just having art in even in your life or creating art yourself i maybe it's because i'm a musician and that's been such a huge enhancement in my life such a huge thing for me and without which i would be really it would be sorely missed you know it'd be a right. quality of life right. issue for me do, right. what or what part does creativity pay, play in your life do you do things that are creative and it can just be that you yes. want to be surrounded by but like what is that part in your life i i have an appreciation for art of a lot of different forms um i don't consider myself good at almost any of it <laughs> um i can i can play the guitar and the drums and that's that's the closest to artistic that i actually get I you think. still play drums I'm set up in my garage. So you mentioned before we started that you had a band in high school. Yeah, we're gonna make it an awesome. We're, we're totally it's band because Rich Roll plays guitar. You said yeah, right? I think he does, and and his wife's a musician. All his kids are. 
Man. But we could do a little trio. Rich, you and I. <laughs> yeah. That'd be the worst. <laughs> <laughs> be the worst. And just be backstage and be kale everywhere. Right. No drugs. No right now, fun. No, just no like fun. Huge kale no, binges and just juice. Just, just yeah. platters of screen, lines of lines juice. of <laughs> lines of vitamin roll greens. <laughs> The nerdiest band. Just the, in the nerdiest, world. dorkiest <laughs> band. God. Yeah. Anyway, we should still do it. I mean, that never stopped me before. Right. Um, but you still do that. Do that, yeah. I almost don't consider that art or creating. It's like Why? I mean Music? Come on, please. Because it's almost robotic and like I will learn how to replicate somebody else's song and play it, you know. But it's rhythm I don't know. It is and, and I think it's balance. I think it's Oh, it definitely is balance. And it no adds about to your it. life. Absolutely. But as far as actual creation of things the only thing that i've really demonstrated that in and, and really the thing that does motivate me a lot is you know building a tribe building something entrepreneurial sort uh-huh. of with, with the blog creative and, too yeah, yeah exactly that i mean, I mean that's, you write. that's sort of my creative art and yeah yeah, yeah so I, mean, I do write but i write nonfiction, so it doesn't always feel like art but the more i learn seth godin has been a big influence on me and he he really refers to your art as your craft, even if that craft involves being at a computer and typing uh-huh. something like a Because you can be creative at anything. Yeah, sure. So it is what you apply to that. Yeah. You know, it's interesting though, like to kind of bring it full circle back to this technology discussion is that that's definitely something like the creative work is something that brings great joy and fulfillment when you actually do it. But it's so hard in, in this modern era with all the distractions and everything else it's so hard to actually get to that point where you get to unless you unless you are really good at time management or have some innate drive like you're just a pure artist at heart and you can't do anything but it but like i've noticed this with the smartphone it's so easy for me to have a list of 15 tasks to get done on that smartphone before i actually sit down and write and right. very often those tasks will expand as a form of procrastination, I think right. at some level, so that the writing never does actually happen, because yeah. the writing's the hard part. The the checking Twitter and all that that's that's no problem. And right. my brain says, well then do that because that's not scary. There's no chance of rejection when you right. when you're just checking tweets. Right. <laughs> but I would say, yeah, because I do the same thing. But I, it's like the proverbial like you clean your house. I'm gonna clean my house instead of get writing. You know, like uh-huh. you know, like in college, yeah, I'd be like, I gotta sit for finals, yeah. but I might as well clean the apartment. Oh sure, <laughs> you know. Absolutely. And so, but I would say that. That again, starting small, like to acknowledge first that creativity is part of the human experience and that it does add to the quality of life and to say it ain't about good or bad. But if you play drums for even one minute, if you just or if you draw a doodle on a you know piece of paper and you throw it away. But I just think starting that kind of stuff is such a huge thing. Cause I think and I, I sometimes advise clients like do something creative and they come to me as a nutritionist and health coach. And so it's not what they expect to, you know, sometimes what right. they expect to hear. I'm like, are you doing anything creative? Like, what is that part of you? Cause if you bring in that part, then you're, that's just another part of that. You're kind of becoming whole as a, as like the whole human being, Yeah. you know, and, and what, and how it can, and actually think that would affect the other parts of your life. If you're doing things that enhance your life, that's less emotional eating. I mean, that's the equation there. Right. You know, the more right. that you feel good about the things that you're doing day to day, the less upset, you know, because you're you're acting. Sure. You know. Have you seen, not to put you on the spot, but like it it sounds, and I, from what I've read about your your little bios and things everywhere, it sounds like you have done a significant amount of learning and research in a lot of these areas. Um, any evidence like from history that we are meant to be creative, that that is something that is 
part of our nature. Whereas, because it's obviously not part of animals' nature. I mean, non-human yeah, animals I, for the most part. Scientifically, like a study, no. But, I mean, clearly just the history of art that we have thousands of years where we're finding mm-hmm. <clears throat> things that we have built with our hands, the use of tools that I interpret when I was reading things on, you know, anthropologically based things for the book, I think the use of tools is a creative endeavor. We had to figure out a way to do this thing better. And we did. And that's to me, the creative process, but like Jeff Stanford's an, you know, anthropologist, he was reading a book called information by, I think the guy's last name is like, but like the earliest forms of drumming and rhythmic, the way as the, the as the way to communicate over over distance mm-hmm. was by drums. Right. That I mean, if that's not create, you know, we we did use our brains to figure out a way to to get things done. Sure. And right. I still think that we do that. I still think in the modern world, being creative in the way that maybe art is, it's still a way to get things done. That thing getting done is sometimes the expression of angst or pleasure or that we want to see beauty, but it's still, it's a process that we use for a purpose, you know, and that, and that's how, and I, so I, I just look at that as the same kind of thing. Right. I just think as humans, we evolve with the brain that allows us to, to create, to, to solve issues in a, in a way that is creative. Mm-hmm. Otherwise we're just like going to beat this person up and kill them and not this person or whatever, you know, like that's right. just kind of like this gut kind right. of thing, like find food, eat food, but we're so not that. Yeah, and so right. we, when we enhance that part of us that we're, that's not that just base kind of fine food thing, that's going to be inevitably creative. I mean, that's how I look at that. Yeah. Gotcha. You know? So it's good. It's beyond. I mean, that's how I look at it. But yeah, we'll have to, we'll have to um, pitch rich on the, uh, on the band thing. We certainly will. And we'll do that. Anyway, um, we're like in an hour 50. Are we really? Can you believe that? I had no idea it went that long. No. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah. And we just, we just polished off a, a sixer of uh, Coors Light. Right. Yeah. No, we did not really. We had a, we had a forty six, ounces of <laughs> forty ounces. Old a, English. I had a forty. Um, yep. What was the forty reference you said? You said a forty My Ragnar, Ragnar, my yeah, Ragnar 40, relay. A forty. Your, yeah, yeah. Good doing a forty. See, for health, for healthy people, that's a whole there different world. Yeah. My forty. College students are everywhere. Just like, oh, right. They were talking about doing forties. <laughs> oh wait, a runner. Oh no, that's. Anyway, um, well, it was nice to sit down with you. Yeah. This has out. been good. Do you know this is the first day we actually have spoken? Imper- oh yeah, because we didn't even, right, we didn't even talk. No, nope, right. Never a phone call. That's true. Never a phone call. There you go. There it is. So <laughs> anyway, so we should announce so tomorrow um at uh Whole Foods in Oakland. Well it won't be tomorrow when this comes out, probably. Are you unless you'll get this up there tonight. Yeah, may not. Might not have I hope you enjoyed our event at Whole Foods in Oakland. <laughs> yeah. And we will be, <laughs> we will be at we will be, because I think I'll post this by the time well, we'll talk about that. Yeah. If we haven't posted this by Wednesday, October 30th, we will be at the sports basement in, in the Presidio. In the Presidio of San Francisco. Yep. Yes. And For Matt's, a run. And Matt's got the tea room. Tea, sorry, San, say it again. For a run. No, oh, no. Oh, that, the tea, yeah. The tea um, thing. Yeah, Sam of our tea lounge. That's on Tuesday night, whichever date that is. October 29th. I don't anymore. Right? Yeah. And then go to nomeatathlete.com for all of Matt's additional tours because you're still on the road till when? Till uh, November twenty first is my Dang, last day dude. back oh, in Is this like a two month thing? Uh, a month and a half. Yeah. Huh? Long time. Whoa. Yep. And you're and you're decently well shaven for that amount of time on the road. <laughs> you're keeping <laughs> Well, your, I have shaved on the, keeping, on this trip. You're, I, keeping your, not. you're keeping yourself Yeah. Clean shaven. Good. Um, yeah, so anyway, we should we should help people because since we're both gonna put this on our own thing, so um you know, on our own podcast, so right. So we should uh 
let each other know or let people know where to find the other one. Okay, well, you go first. Right? So mine's at nomeatathlete.com. Uh, my book's called No Meat Athlete. You'll find it just about anywhere you look in, that sells books, of course. And also have a podcast. If you go just iTunes, No Meat Athlete, search for that. You will find it. Facebook, Twitter, all those things. No Meat Athlete. Of course, if they're hearing this, they're on the podcast. Unless they're hanging on yours. Oh, that's true. That's why we I didn't think. Right. Oh, that's we totally really should have done yeah. this the first minute instead of. <laughs> we now. really should have. Okay. Two hours and later. and my my book is approaching the natural health manifesto. Um, Twitter at no, uh, sorry, Twitter at Sid Garza Hillman <laughs> and the approaching the natural podcast, uh, and that's everywhere also, and the book is everywhere also, and so anyway, uh, it was a joy to have you on my podcast. And yes, now you say the and the same to you. It's been a pleasure to have you on mine. Yeah, and thanks for this. Has been great. Um. Check out the Stanford Inn, people who you know, people who are uh, plant-based and looking for something, you know, a place to or not to stay. plant-based, or not plant-based. Even so, because we have it's certainly good for that. But assuming that my audience is going to be the plant-based audience, yeah. um, rather than the resort, oh, resort connoisseurs who just always go to resorts. Um, but yeah, like I put it on Twitter, and people were surprised to hear that there was a place that catered to plant-based diets and just did this sort of thing. So uh, it's a very cool place. It's the accommodations are amazing the views are really nice there's almost you know cool stuff to do so just check it out if you haven't yet what, what's the website for this stanfordin.com yeah. and then the wellness center that i head up is livingwellmendocino.com and the stanford Inn is the is the sponsor of my podcast and it is great and it's creative food and and great people and just a fun place to stay so come visit and matt and i were chatting today about maybe doing a, um, a retreat kind of thing in the future and i do have one in late january i think on the 18th maybe um where you can spend three or four days with me and do classes and all sorts of stuff so um i'll, I'll come out more on that but you could find out that about that on um, livingwellmendocino.com i think that's it did that's we, it do we do it we did it. Could we? Could we? Any chance they would host our uh, like our big band CD release party festival the, the, here? The, the like, CD they, release. We, party. There's room for that here, right? Like so a we Woodstock think of a type name. thing. Veg stock. We could just be the No Meat Athletes. That's not a bad band <laughs> name. It's better than approaching the Naturals. <laughs> People would be like, "Why are you playing guitars instead of I, the No Meat Athletes?" It? Yeah, I don't know. We'll think about. It. We'll think on that. I bet there's we'll a, a contest. Of, there's probably some really bad puns. You know, what we should of. do as a book giveaway for the best band name. They get a free copy of each of our books. Oh, there we go. Yeah. Okay. We might do it. We might set that in stone. All right. We gotta talk to Rich first. Nobody think it. Don't think yet. Right. Just wait. Not yet. Yeah, but we'll put that out. Cool. Good. All right, Matt. Well, good luck with the rest of your tour, and I'm really glad we got to hook up and I got to to um to see you here. Me too. And, and Jonah and Jeff were so generous to to put you up, and I said he's a good guy and and um, probably road weary. So I wanted to have yep. you have you uh, have a nice night here. So. Yes, absolutely. So thank you. Yep. And thanks everybody for listening. Yeah, thanks everybody, and we'll see you soon. Thanks.